Hey, man. Hey, I am a little bit too excited to talk about films today, Danny. Can't really talk about films today. I've got other stuff on my mind. What have you got in your mind? Well, the impending uh, destruction of the world <laughs> due, to, due to nuclear Armageddon. That's a big one. What else? Other than that, though, the, the real main thing I'm thinking about is romance and particularly kind of aristocratic romance, you know, like romance between people with like fucking great genes. Um, <laughs> anyone, uh, anyone specifically? Yeah, specifically. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you should say that. Not to press you on this matter. No, no, no. I've really got someone in mind specifically I'm, I'm getting, getting around to talking about. Yeah, Harry, Prince Harry, the uh, the Nazi one. Um, from the royals, the one who dressed up as a Nazi, uh, the ginger. He did a bit naked billiards as well. Remember, that was another one of his laddish. sexy guy. Um, naked, that's like the poshest thing. Like, naked billiards. I like how that's like he's like the sort of tearaway royal, but like it's still incredibly posh. It wasn't like strip poker. It was like strip <laughs> billiards. Like, how do you even play that game? <laughs> it yeah. was a billiard table. You need like a fucking mansion just to contain the. It's like twice the size of a pool table. At least it kind of helps disguise your modesty. You know, like if you're really going for it, he should have been doing naked balls. Yeah. There's nowhere to hide on the green. Um, anyway, so to attempt to tie this conversation into, you know, our, our normal topic, which is movies, um, I understand that you have been doing a bit of background research. Absolutely. I thought, how can I make this about films? I just Google what is Prince Harry's favorite film. And I found this very reputable sounding site called everythingzuma.com, which lists all of Harry's favorite things, his favorite color, his favorite music. And under favorite film, he says... It says, having spent time on the front line, it may not come as a surprise to hear that Prince Harry's favourite film is Full Metal Jacket, which was released worldwide in 1987, which was when he was just three. He also likes Black Hawk Down and Platoon, and has commented that war films act as good therapy for army recruits. That's weird, isn't it? Like, if you've seen The Horrors of War, you wouldn't want to relive it in the next sort of Kubrickian drama. Good, good therapy. Good therapy. Well, it's like, before you go to war, you watch all the positive war films. Yeah. And then after you've been in war, you've seen the horrors, you watch all the um, uh, terror-inducing ones. Isn't that a bit like saying, like, if you love gorillas, like, your favourite film is going to be 28 Days Later? Yeah, it's a bit you odd. Know, wouldn't you want to watch something that's more... I don't know, maybe they find it cathartic. Oh, shit, you know what we should have done? We should have looked up, because his... The the lucky bride to be Meghan Markle is yes. an actress, right? Is she? In- yeah, she was in Suits. That shows Suits. Oh right, okay. Didn't know that actually. I mean, did you, an American actress. That's kind of exaggerating like, my enthusiasm. Uh, what's her name? Simpson all over again, right? Wallace Simpson. Yeah, the guy was a bit of a Nazi. He dressed like oh um, yeah, Nazi sympathizer. Went with like an American actress. Yeah, uh, I was exaggerating my enthusiasm for the Raws earlier, and I, I didn't I didn't know who she was really. No one really cares unless we get a, f- a day off, in which case I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. Give me, give me a fucking holiday and I'll put up all the bunting you want. Yeah. I saw, I saw that she's going to have her, her route to citizenship is going to be um, hurried along. You know, she's not a British citizen. So oh, she I ne- see. She has to become uh, one. One rule for them. She's got to become one ASAP. Exactly, Danny. Exactly. Ridiculous. Unjust. It's bullshit. Fuck, fucking, this, is, this should be, they should be the bad guys in the next Paddington movie. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Don't you think the villain in the next Paddington film... Should be somebody with like government connections who's trying to get ahead of Paddington in the queue for British citizenship. Yes, and like tries to have him deported so that he can be ahead of him in the queue, something like that. And then he's also getting married to the Queen or whatever. Well, actually, that's I think you're onto a good thing here because Paddington, one of his charming aspects is he views everybody equally, right? He doesn't. Yes. He has no concept of a class system at all because yeah. he's so genuine. There's no fucking VIP lounge in Paddington's nightclub. <laughs> Exactly. Everyone's allowed in. Everyone's allowed in. So it's very busy. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, and because it's a fucking great place to go. And it's a bloody delightful place. Yeah. Marmalade sandwiches, cups of tea. Marmalade Collins. You can have one of those. I should have researched this before, but I've just discovered that Meghan Markle was in the film Get Him to the Greek, Remember Me, and Horrible Bosses. That's a pretty good um, filmography. Yeah. Got some of the some of the classics there. <laughs> Do you remember Remember Me? I was, I've just seen the incredibly epic ending. Have you seen yeah, the ending? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it does have one of the all-time great twists. Like uh, the, the the great thing about the twist to remember me is that it's unusual in that most movie plot twists um, kind of come on top of a of a premise that was already gripping. But in Remember Me, it's only the twist that makes the film like worth seeing at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the opposite of a normal twist in that you actually would be more likely to see the film if you knew the twist because then it becomes a story about something yeah it's an odd one odd one i'm gonna spoil it it's spoil a, away. the twist is it's set on 9-11 and he's in it and he's in uh, he's in the he's in the twin towers it's the ultimate romantic tragedy now it's, the end he's like should i go out for lunch uh, uh, i've got a lot of work on <laughs> I'll I'll I'm, I'm just gonna I'll stay yeah but just work through lunch it's just a normal day and there's no reason not to actually no i'm gonna go out no <laughs> no actually i'm I'm going to stay. Yeah, he gets all the way downstairs and then he's like forgotten his pass. He's like, oh, I'll just go back. I'll just go back to my desk. He's a little talking, he's a little <laughs> saying his thoughts out loud. <laughs> what should I do? Yeah, I think I'm going to leave the building actually. Yeah, it starts with like, I'm not even supposed to be here today. I, I can come in. Okay, fine. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, I booked a day off. Oh, well, you know, actually, I don't mind work. I actually quite like it. So I, I'm not going to pr- protest too much. I will go in actually. Yeah, yeah pretty, pretty good stuff. The big day is much better than... 9-11. Just trying to wrap it all up here, seamlessly. Let's hope it's better than 9-11. Good luck to, to the happy couple. <laughs> this is why we don't get paid for this. Sure. Get him to the altar. <laughs> anyway, so with, that's, with that's that bit guy, of spectacular banter... I'm his best man. This is the sort of joke. <laughs> Ooh, I hope he's not a horrible boss in the bedroom. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, and with that, that smoothly concluded, Stanny, why don't you give us a little intro to the podcast? I'd love to, I'd love to. What's if you've not about? listened before, I'll explain. Film Chat is a podcast all about a young vigilante hacker called Sam Foster, who loves nothing more than to reminisce about his childhood friend, Danny Moran, who he has been in love with since he was eight. As children, while walking in the woods, Sam and Danny found a magical black stone. Okay? In the present day... His mystical powers are revealed to Sam after he's hit by a car and survives the accident through mysterious and miraculous speedy recovery. Sam reveals to his wife, Katie Rogers, that he's not been writing a new novel, but has instead been using his hacking skills to expose the, mo- the most secret government and corporate secrets. His commitment to this mission is tested by Katie's downward spiral into alcohol and drug addiction ending in an overdose, the murder of his best friend, which is then framed as suicide, and continual sexual seduction by his best friend's underage stepdaughter. Sexual seduction. Is what I would be saying, this was a adaptation of the first and amazingly least weird paragraph of the Wikipedia <laughs> entry for the film Fateful Findings. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a man who will bring down the government, mourn his dead wife, avenge his friend's death, and spurn the interests of amorous child, Sam Foster. It's heavy stuff. Yeah, it's hard hitting. Hard hitting. I stuff. love to expose the most secret secrets. <laughs> I spurn the less secret secrets. Um, yeah. So on this week's episode, we're going to be reviewing Battle of the Sexes, 
which chronicles the efforts of women's tennis champ Billie Jean King to defeat the chauvinist Bobby Riggs. Uh, as an avowed meninist, men's rights activist, male power champion, boy proponent, boys to men superfan, and subscriber to a lot of YouTube channels about different kinds of logical argument, I cannot endorse the message of this film, but I did enjoy it a lot. Danny will also be reviewing Happy End, the latest film from Michael Haneke, that miserable Austrian genius, uh, which is all about a depressed person having an orgasm, I assume. I don't really know. I think Danny's going to tell us later. That's Pl- exactly it. Plus, we excitedly flap our gums at the news that the sneaky comic legend Chris Morris has made a film without anybody noticing. He's been largely absent since his movie Four Lions came out in 2010, which will make this the first opportunity to see if he's retained his edge more than the other British satirists from the 90s who spend 80% of every day tweeting sick burns directly at Donald Trump. We'll also be reflecting sadly on the lengths Will Ferrell has been forced to go to to promote his shit new film. Shit is a play on words there. It's a pun. Uh, All that should leave just enough time for me to do my screen-by-screen breakdown of the incredible new trailer for Avengers Infinity War. This is going to be a shot-by-shot. You're going to learn all the secrets, all right? Here's how it opens. Iron Man, he's looking a little upset, and there's a sort of orange background behind him. He's gone off the color since the the events of the past film, in which, you know, orange turned out to be uh, how his father died. And then it cuts from that to uh, Vision. Um, He's in a new suit. And he's discussing with uh, Wanda Maximoff. Where'd you get that? <laughs> <laughs> Who's your tailor? That kind of thing. Then it cuts straight from there to uh, the moon. And, and on the moon, um, you've got the Hulk. He's fallen there from, from Thor's homeworld. And he's built a little cottage. And he's making a big pot of gumbo. He's <laughs> <laughs> there McConaughey's dad. Even Matthew McConaughey's dad. He's got a he's got a cause light, and uh, he's in his underwear. <laughs> he's drinking a big pot of gumbo, <laughs> and he's he's laughing. <laughs> Following on from our birthday shout-out to James W. of Tooting Back, um, he got in touch with us to tell us he'd had a lovely birthday. He had what sounded to me like a very exciting uh, birthday experience. Yeah. Um, his girlfriend ha- had blindfolded him and took him to an exciting place, and it turned out to be a private screening of The Land Before Time, and all his friends were there. What? What is this uh, scene from Where the climax of a Richard Curtis film? Uh, so that sounded very exciting, and uh, he concluded his message by saying that it felt listening to it like a kind of fourth wall breaking moment reaching out through the the radio yeah you know and speaking to him directly um and suggested that maybe we could discuss you know our favorite fourth wall breaking moments in movies because that's a cinematic technique some some people like to do that yeah what are you uh what are, what are your faves saying i'm a big fan of ferris bueller's fourth wall breaking and ferris bueller's day off the best one being when he thinks he's been rumbled and then his sister saves him and he just like stares at the camera and is like, how did this work out? I like a silent fourth wall break. Yeah. yeah. They bought it. Well, that's a big um, crutch they use in House of Cards. Well, it's all about the little turns to the camera, you know. There's no, but it, the, the talking is part of it, but it's mainly just the, the sort of um, side eye. Well, yeah. It's, the exception of House of Cards, like, ha, I, which I guess is like a bit comedic at times, 
it's got like, a kind of i mean the, those fourth wall breaking moments are humorous there's like dramatic irony to them right yeah you know because he's always bullshitting people i kind of thought that like in i already seen a bit of the kevin spacey house of cards that this that disgrace sex pest kevin spacey but i kind of thought it kind of literalized his cachet as an actor in that like he always looked like he knew more than everybody else he's always but some smug guy yeah exactly with sort of shit eating like look on the his ultimate face. version of that is just like He's always like sort of looking at the audience. Yeah. And that one is like, he literally is. And it's sort of. Well, I think that's why the show, you know, to go off the question into a discussion <laughs> of that TV show. Um, I think that's why the show is fundamentally less successful than the English version that it's based upon. Because he comes so across duplicitous. as an utterly duplicitous, untrustworthy character. And no one, everyone believes him to be a amoral schemer. And so, therefore, for anyone to be taken in by him, they have to be a complete dupe to begin with. Yeah. The only way for it to work is that the president character is just an absolute moron, and therefore he's easily manipulable. Whereas in the British version, um, the uh, the main guy in it, what's he called, Francis Urquhart, he's um, a, a, this particular type of posh patrician Tory, and they're all fucking like that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, like literally every, basically every conservative in Parliament is some breed of you know preening posh guy. So he doesn't, he doesn't exactly stand out. Um, and there's no reason why. I mean, you know, you wouldn't trust any of them. And maybe it's partly because like American politics is more sincere than British politics is, or something. Yeah. You know, they're all like about the flag waving and you know, God save America and stuff like that. Whereas. Uh, the uh, conservative uh, government is just full of you know rich people who are like fuck you and that's that's the yeah. whole thing anyway um, so anyway <laughs> um another good four fall break i really like the one in austin powers the spy who shagged me where like they try and explain time travel and then just turn to the camera is like just try and have some fun and, like, winks because <laughs> it's part of like the sort of like kind of panto aspect of those movies where like, yeah, yeah. even the most lame joke is just like acknowledged by how lame it is i don't know the more tired and contrived the jokes are in the franchise the funnier i find it sure yeah it's like bad cracker jokes you know yeah, exactly. something for us all to enjoy yeah yeah the uh fourth wall breaking in annie hall is is uh quite a well-known one i think people often refer to the queuing scene in annie hall where he's listening to some obnoxious person behind him talking about marshall McLuhan, and then he produces the real marshall McLuhan to tell that guy off which which includes the strange line where Marshall McLuhan tells the guy that his whole fallacy is wrong. And the funny part of it is, Marshall McLuhan, you don't know anything about Marshall McLuhan's oh, really? work. really? Really? I happen to teach a class at Columbia called TV, Media, and Culture. So I think that my insights into Mr. McLuhan, well, have a great deal of validity. Oh, do you? Yeah. Well, that's funny, because I happen to have Mr. McLuhan right here. So, so, yeah, just let me, let me, let me, come over here a second. Oh, tell I heard, him. I heard what you were saying. You, you know nothing of my work. You mean my whole fallacy is wrong. How you ever got to teach a course in anything is totally amazing. Boy, if life were only like this. What does that mean? I don't know. Someone needs to sort of pull out a grammarian or, um, you know, expert on language from behind Marshall McLuhan to explain to him that that's not what the word fallacy means. Well, that's not a very odd use of it anyway. Is there like, there must be in like some Shakespeare adaptation do they have any like talks to cameras well there's the moment in you know right at the end of The Godfather when he tells her that you know this is the one time you can ask about my business and then <laughs> and, winks. and she says she says you know did you kill him or whatever and he's like no and then he looks at the camera and he just <laughs> gives a little wink and then he closes the door leaves her outside that's it that's it <laughs> he like jumps and like clicks his heels <laughs> That's a like that's an that's an epic conclusion of that yeah. film. 
that's a very effective one. The end of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a fourth wall break, but it just feels like they just it's didn't fucking know how to weird. End that, that movie. The end of that movie is so weird. Every time, like, I sort of feel like I remember most of the movie, and then I remember it ends with this scene where he goes and visits a dying pedophile, and then like he just sort of <laughs> after it's like a weirdly serious scene, and then it's got this like, and then they were like, no, no, that's too heavy, and then it's got this weird bit where he just talks directly to camera about. But it's not even like a, it's like a digital camera. It's yeah, like yeah, it's like, it's, like, <laughs> it's like it's just recording a home video of it. That's it. That's the true story of what happened last Christmas. That was some pretty harsh shit with the old guy back there, right? Shh, shh. But whatever, he's creepy. Fuck him. Don't worry about him. Uh, anyhow, so, um, thanks for coming. Thanks for taking the trip to L.A. with me. Uh, I mean, if I had to, to sum it up, and I do, because, you know, it's like the end. Um, I would say that this movie is about, it's about friendship. Friendship is... is, is what are you is, doing? Is, is sacred. I'm just trying to wrap up the movie and leave, leave the people with a message. Um, oh, and I've got a message for you. Right. Get your feet up my fucking desk. Sorry. Uh, I work for Perry now. And stop narrating. That's it. Please stay for the end credits. If you're wondering who the best boy is, it's someone's nephew. Don't forget to validate your parking. And uh, for all of you good people in the Midwest, sorry we said fuck so much. Say goodnight. Thanks again. Now go. Vanish. Yeah. Very stuck. Yeah, that movie kind of uh, fluffs the landing a little bit. It's very bit weird. Yeah. That is the worst fourth wall break. And the Annie Hall is the best one. Exactly. Satisfied, James W. Tudenbeck. <laughs> <laughs> Happy now. Happy now. We've talked about what you want us to do. We dance for you. Um, <laughs> part of the life of a modern movie actor is you have to engage with marketing your film. And even if it was not a film you're particularly invested in, you still got to go on the tours, especially if it's like a big budget or mass entertainment film that is going to be widely promoted. The studio owns you. The studio kind of owns you. you know, it's in your contract. You just have to do things. You have to like, and we've seen, you know, Henry Cavill on the Justice League tour, who's just completely saying whatever he's told. It doesn't matter that he's in one of the most embarrassing films ever made. He's just, you know, he's just saying it. Like, butter won't melt in his mouth. I mean, he's a professional actor, so I guess he's very his good at it. His performance is man who, who convinces people that he's in <laughs> fucking garbage. It's a garbage. I mean, he acts better in those fucking interviews than he does on the screen. It's true. Although you may think that that is an embarrassing spectacle, but it is nothing compared to what Will Ferrell has had to do um, touring around Daddy's Home too. And someone uh, was forced to endure an advert that he recorded for the for Virgin Trains and this plays whenever you press a button to lock the door in when you go for a you know a wee or a shit or whatever you want to do in there uh on a virgin train if you if your door is going to be locked you are forced to listen to will ferrell advertising his film in the following manner the toilet door is now locked welcome to the virgin train washroom i'm will ferrell the star of the new movie daddy's home too you'll be pleased to know that it's only my voice in here you can't see me but I can see you. Only joking. I'm just joking. Please don't try to flush nappies, sanitary towels, paper towels, unwanted Christmas jumpers, turkeys, Christmas lights, or granddads down this toilet. Thank you. Until you can get to the cinemas, download Beam, the free onboard entertainment service. It's packed full of the best movies, the most epic TV box sets, magazines, talks, and games. It's so much easier than bringing board games onto the train. And it's free from the app stores. Thank you. The door is unlocked. Go! You're free! Oh, God. 
it's just yeah i mean i think it's one of those things that is almost like funny because of how ridiculous it is but instead it's just like just excruciatingly grim. grim yeah it's just horrifying was there like a recording before which is like a sort of normal like flat toned like, don't believe so information ad sort of thing your door is locked now yeah exactly I, I don't i don't think so i have found those that whole system rather confusing because in 95 percent of all the toilet doors in the world you simply slide up down a thing or you push a bolt yeah, yeah. or whatever and it's very simple but in those ones it's all kind of automated for some reason so you have to like close it but if you close the door it isn't locked right right you have to you have to like you have to push a button and it just locks you know without any you doing your business um i think i i've, I've had some i don't think i've ever had like a moment of like you know horrible scandal yeah. uh but i have been baffled by that system before and sure. i did get like there was one occasion uh when i was on a virgin train and that did happen, but it was like the guy who was in there, and I was waiting outside. Oh, I see. And there was this like awful thing. You can see he was kind of scrambling around, like trying to close the door. And there was, you know, he was. I think it happened like mid wee. No, oh, dear. So he was still weeing, and he had to like try to close the door. And there was loads of people around, and it, the whole thing was just terribly embarrassing for him. Probably but- not as embarrassing as Will Ferrell recording that advert. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! I dropped a cork. <laughs> <laughs> I was holding a cork and I dropped it. And that's what that noise was. Yeah, this whole movie, like, I just seem like I saw this kind of dumb cash-in sequel, which wouldn't be very good. But I just, like... Is that what you... I was like, they've made a sequel to Daddy's Home! (laughs) But surely, like, who hired Mel Gibson? There surely must have been some sort of, like, spreadsheet of, like, the negative press we'll get for putting him in this family comedy. Does that outweigh... The revenue he will somehow generate. Have they got much negative press though? Because he's kind of been back in movies. You know, he's made a few films. Do you think has there been a backlash to? I don't know. A lot of reviewers like side that, like you know, they still just don't find him that funny. Right. Yeah. He's like an anti-Semite. You know, sure. That is the correct position to take on it. Maybe they maybe they're casing him in some like tiny kind of Taken-esque movie where he murders people, but not in a family film. Maybe it just seems especially bad in the wake of this whole Weinstein thing, where like. Actually, you were like that as well, but like that happened in the past. But you know, yeah, yeah. Your, your crimes are now refreshed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. the climate has changed. Yeah, poor Will Ferrell. He always he's such an odd guy because I find him so funny in interviews and like skits, and he's obviously like, this hilarious performer. But he makes like the worst films, and it's like surely you can just. He's got this look right. about him. He's got he's got this sort of tired, um, weary, jaded professional look about him. He's getting a bit Adam Sandler, you know. Yeah, exactly. In that kind of sellout way. It's only yeah. It's it's a young man's game, you know, just ending up in a pool of shit or whatever happens in these movies. Yeah. When you reach when you're pushing fifty, it's just a bit sad. Anyway, poor Will. Poor Will, shocking stuff. Virgin trains. I don't know what's more disgusting, uh, Mel Gibson's life or richard branson's tax avoidance what could you do that would be more embarrassing than uh forcing a A a-list movie star like one of the most famous people in the world to uh advertise only to people shitting and pissing like if you if you if you're a studio and you owned someone for a particular period like how would you get them to advertise your Uh, awful film what's more embarrassing what's a more embarrassing thing to be associated with well like when they um open their like hemorrhoid medicine and you just like uh <laughs> yeah feeling uncomfortable why not go down to the local movie books and see my great film yeah any sort of embarrassing sexual sexually transmitted diseases like you know why shift associated... uncomfortably in that seat when you could be <laughs> shifting uncomfortably in a cinema 
Oh man! Do so you see the other thing about like you could win like a toilet seat signed by Will Ferrell? Yes, there's a picture of him holding a signed toilet. He's like, there's a whole toilet themed campaign like, conducted you know, by him. Can't he just like have like a you know stay in a hotel like what normal movie prizes like a fucking toilet <laughs> Why seat would you signed want by Will Ferrell? But is that a prize? You'd have to install that. That's just work on your. But you have to get a drill. You know, like this is too much. Ferrell Ferrell comes and shits in your mouth, and he says, "This is worse for me than it is for you." That's your prize. Oh man. So embarrassing. <laughs> Has he ever made a, like a really good film? I know people say Anchorman. I mean, he's in the Austin Powers movies, but I feel like, you know what I mean? Like his batting average is low now. He yeah, just churns it's pretty out low. So much shit, and there's not even like you know nondescript films. I like two star, one star movies. Like everyone hated Get Hard last year. He's made a lot of bad movies. Yeah, I think that um, in terms of like mainstream performers who can run the gamut from um, like a vuncular ordinary person to out and out clown, I think Steve Carell's doing a more successful job. Yeah, he's got more like acting range and can do more different kinds of roles and is in better stuff. You know, I feel like he's got a sim- he's got a vaguely similar quality to him. You know, like Pratt falling dad type. Yeah. You're the you're the worst sort of guy with a vaguely similar sounding surname in that vaguely similar category of performer Farrell. Sorry, you fucking shithead. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. And now for a news item that I trailed with much too much detail and spoiled everything. Well, not at all. So Chris Morris has, uh, it has been announced or the information has leaked that he has just wrapped his new movie. We don't know the title. We don't know what it's about. We just know that Anna Kendrick is the star and also stars uh, Kevin Novak, maybe still better known as Face Jacker or Phone Jacker, who was obviously in Four Lions. Rubber Dimmy Rackers. What do you say? Fuck Mini Baby Bell? Fuck Mini Baby Bell. Rubber Dingy Rappers. Rubber Dingy all the great Rappers, lines. All the great lines. Apparently, Fuck Mini Baby Bell was an ad lib by him. Maybe, yeah, which maybe, is... Maybe the greatest ad lib. Absolutely. Fantastic ad lib. And the filming took place in um, Santo Domingo and Pinewood Studios and also some places in the Dominican Republic. And the only thing we know about it, there was a picture of Kendrick on set when she was wearing like a bulletproof vest and holding a gun. So some kind right. of... So another rom-com from Chris Morris. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like you were saying, like he is in that group of '90s comedians, but he's kind of still got his edge. He hasn't been. He only does good films. He, well, like, he hasn't. He hasn't like, fucked himself over by being on Twitter and seeming incredibly lame. Absolutely. Like, like pretty much every writer from the day to day is a Twitter account, and they're an absolute bell end on it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very true. Um, but he hasn't had one, so I think is like he's generally retained, you know, his dignity at least. Yeah, and also he is by far the most edgy of, like, the entire group. And I just can't see the guy who did the Pedo Geddon episode of Brass I like, sort of... You know, even if you blunted his out edge, and becoming a it would still be very edgy. You hashtag know? resistance anti-Trump person. Yeah, he, yeah. Like, I think he's too cynical, too scabrous, you know. Too... Well, that's well, that's what makes it so interesting, is that he has had that um, extremely acid quality to the stuff he's done, and it's very disturbing and kind of wants to... Like, if you listen to any of his... Um, a radio Jam. show Blue Jam or something like that. Oh it's like, God. gives you fucking nightmares like before it makes you laugh, you know? Um, so how I'd be fascinated to see exactly how he would deal with the political developments of, of recent times. So I'm genuinely really excited to see what what's going to come out of this. Because, I mean, as, as we were saying in the Death of Stalin review, 
Four Lions is a film that really successfully dealt with a modern political topic in a kind of sensitive and very funny and you know well researched way and he had a he had a good angle on it and everything um so so yeah i don't know what do you think it's going to be i mean it's military i assume maybe it'll be maybe it'll be more like american imperialist stuff or yeah yeah um because there was the there's the bit in four lines towards the end where there's a character who's arrested and taken to like a shipping container and some guy's like you're in egypt now yeah, uh, and you know torture is legal here <laughs> um and it's this sort of just chilling little like reference to like extraordinary rendition or like the um uh, condoning of torture practices by uh, british and american governments and then maybe he's you know decided to tackle that head on yeah i hope so and i like the idea of uh Kayman novak and anna kendrick's as like sorry anna, i keep on pluralizing her name anna kendrick is uh like co-leads she, i don't know because she's a very she's a really good actress and it feels that she's been a bit typecast in a slightly kind of like perky that kind of pitch perfect yeah yeah third uh, the the funny friends like in like crappy like zach afron rom-coms or whatever and she's got a lot of dramatic chops like you know she got i think she got oscar nominated for um, up in the air up in the air yeah and it feels like she's just been cast as that role ever since or versions of that role so it'd be good to see her you know the, the funny thing the other funny thing about the story is that the thing that it immediately reminds me of when like a legendary comedian who is uh has a very idiosyncratic approach to producing their entertainment um announces that they've made a film under the radar without anyone recognizing and it was uh louis ck like that's exactly how, oh, his, right. new, yeah, yeah. how his new movie was announced he was you just you just showed it at a film festival he was like i've made this film nobody knows you're the you're the only people who ever see this movie without having any idea what it's about and it turns out the only people who ever see the film full stop because <laughs> it got canned after you know he turned out to be a sexual predator yeah, so it can't go worse than that, right? I'd love if he just made a film about how all his friends are lame now. That, that would be, be the ultimate. Great, <laughs> the that ultimate, would be so good. The oh ultimate Chris Morris movie would just be the shit on all his collaborators. Like, <laughs> you've all fucking sold out. <laughs> you all fucking suck. That that I would genuinely that would be so good. I'd be I'd be incredibly happy if that if that was the topic of his new movie. It's called like fuck David Schneider's Twitter account or something. It's called Death of Stalin. Wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> you were funnier when you were working with me. So, as I referenced earlier, the trailer for Avengers Infinity War has dropped. Much anticipated trailer. It was preceded by a sort of trailer for the trailer, which is this kind of modern phenomenon as, like, viral things get sliced into ever finer, like, increments uh, that were sent to us on um, our Facebook page by some random guy. Like, I have no idea who it was. And Thank you, random guy. I, well, I wouldn't be suspicious if I didn't know for a fact that we don't have that many listeners, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, we're not at the level where you just get random messages that only say, like, a smiley face and, like, a link. So I immediately went on his... Does this make me sound creepy? But I, I, I clicked no. on him to see if he was, like, a marketer or something. <laughs> 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 I was like, you just going around, like, film pages, saying people shit? Anyway, it was a... Um, it consisted of a montage uh, of trailer reactions to other trailers. It was bizarre kind of thing that would never have existed a few years ago and you know like reaction videos are a genre on youtube and it was just like a montage of other people's reactions to previous marvel movie trailers and i don't really understand the logic by which you would be excited simply by the fact that some nerd got really excited about a different film you know what i mean yeah you kind of watch it i like i watched it like and i like these movies and i am excited for the new avengers film uh, but i watched it being like but i'm not like you know Come I'm not on. like this. You have all these people like bursting into tears, like screaming, like having absolute meltdowns. Like they've broken Thor's hammer. Jeez. <laughs> oh, 
yeah, exactly. It's like you know that's that's going overboard. Uh, so it, it, if anything, it you know yeah. lessened my anticipation of the film. But but anyway, I watched the trailer. I saw that it was out, and I went downstairs at work to have a little sneaky watch on my phone, uh, which is the you know sort of fanboyish thing that I was willing to oh my do. God. Anyway, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it doesn't really give that much away. It's just a kind of collection of you know people looking serious mainly. But yeah, Josh Brolin looks pretty angry. He's got a big lanterny jaw. The CGI isn't that good, but it'll do. I, I was I'm sort of interested to see how they've represented that character because he's such he's so intrinsically ridiculous looking. He's not a good villain, like conceptually speaking. So you have to do a lot of work to make him good, you know. And I don't know if they will succeed. I mean, he does look like. He basically does look like an expensive version of what would be in a cartoon, you know? He's pink, he's bold, he's ugly, he walks around. <laughs> good good luck to them investing Which in the Which one of the Avengers do you are going to die or bone? Do you uh, think uh, Scarlet Witch Do you think they're gonna, something's going to be fucking in it? <laughs> they're going to hook up? Well, do they think? do in the comics, right? I think I believe they're a couple yeah, in the comic be more... book history group of people in a room together. Well, it does show him as a human, and if he's given himself a human skin, why not... Human not? genitals why as not, well. Why not a huge human genital? Why not? He's a he's a matter shaping android. He why can do you anything. Why give a tiny dick if you could have any dick? Yeah. Once you taste that, you don't go back. <laughs> you cannot have a normal human again. You just want like a creature with a magical gem in its forehead that used to be a like robot voice and is now some kind of ethereal spirit being or something. It's the only kind of bang that will do. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you're a nice guy, but my boyfriend. <laughs> Was this man shifting? It's a sort of <laughs> immortal former operating software <laughs> combined with an all-powerful gemstone that could literally do anything. It was an amazing lover because you know. But 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 you you're lovely. Yeah, but that cycling business is fascinating as well. So. <laughs> but hey, I like flat weights too. So <laughs> we got a lot in common. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I assume that um, Captain America's gonna. Well, his contract's die. up, right? Chris Evans' contract. Well, all the major ones' contracts are up, right? Downey Jr.'s... I think, like, all the original ones, they're all coming to an end. Oh, I see. But I imagine that there will be a, probably a combination of deaths and retirements. If they were really ballsy, they'd both die. I'd be happy to see them both by the dust, to be honest. Yeah. I still haven't got over the fact they killed um, Thor's friends and Thor Ragnarok. Oh, God. I'm still reeling. I still haven't got over it. Where's Sif? Where was Sif? They had the Robin Hood one. They had the... Uh, the one who was sort of sort like a dwarf Viking. character, but he wasn't small. Uh, he just looked like a <laughs> the, dwarf. The, the Asian one. The Asian one. He he's done. He died. <laughs> but where's Sif? But where's Sif? Is she going to be back? She's going to save the day. Um, she's going to turn up. Yeah. I'm sure that they, they. It wasn't just like that. She was like, I'm not going to be in your fucking film for two seconds. I don't give a shit. I have a you know a career. To, have to, to other stuff to do. It's going to be they're saving her up for a for a dramatic uh, rescue mission. Can't wait. Can't wait for Sif. Isn't that a cleaning product or something? <laughs> I think I have some of that under my under my sink. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Happy End. This is the new film written directed by that most austere of art house directors, Michael Haneke. Do you like your films full of, like, chilling, bleak uh, misery and middle-class people fucking each other over or, like, slow deaths or sadism? Mm-mm-mm. He is the director for you. So his new film, somewhat ironically titled Happy End, sort of commentary on his own filmography, is about uh, the Laurent family. They are a 
very well-to-do kind of bourgeois family living in Calais and they have a construction uh, business. And it's all about how all individual members are horrible, horrible people. The crux of the plot is that there has been an accident on their work site and they're trying to downplay uh, the injury of the person who's involved and pay off the family. Meanwhile, uh, Matthew Cassavetes, who's the sort of youngest son in the family, his uh, daughter from his previous marriage comes to stay with them and she has got problems of her own. And there's also the father character, played by Jean-Louis Trajan, who was in Amour, has got dementia and hates everybody and wants to die. And his uh, daughter, played by Isabel Huppert, has a very fractious relationship with her son. And she's also dating Toby Jones. And what is the most ridiculous thing I've seen in the film? Isabel Huppert and Toby Jones. I'm all on board for Infinity Wars. There's five gemstones or whatever. (laughs) But Isabel Huppert dating Toby Jones. Ridiculous. He's got a lot of character, you know. He's a a very charming man. But is he sexy like Huppert? But he's like, you know, French sexy. He's French sexy. Is Gerard Depardieu sexy? Uh, Yeah, actually, you've got a good point. He's French sexy. He'd be worshipped as a god in France. (laughs) (laughs) Here he's a clown. (laughs) Exactly. Um, so I saw this at the London Film Festival and it was playing at like 8.45 on a Sunday morning and I was like, what have I got myself into here? You know, strap myself in for some, you know, I might just kill myself now, save myself the trouble. Death <laughs> would be the happy end for the, Not the most impartial mindset <laughs> then going in. But I gotta say, I really enjoyed it and it's a super pitch black comedy, um, which is, uh, full of enough self-loathing that makes it really fun and it's, uh, kind of a farce. And the way the comedy plays out and a lot of the tension in scenes is that the audience is aware of what all the characters are doing and the way the characters aren't. So when you, you know, it can create this anticipation because you know how scenes are going to fold. You know, one character knows the secret, all this happening on and kind of those kind of classic drama conventions. It mines really well. Uh, it's also this is the most pretentious sentence, perhaps on the podcast that's ever been uttered. I feel like happy end is to Haneke what like Nymphomaniac was to Lars von Trier in that it's a sort of film about his own filmography and all the things he has all the concerns from his previous film are sort of like looked at and kind of slightly mocked and the teenage girl character is almost like a surrogate for Haneke himself and the opening shot is her sort of impassionately filming something on her iPhone and it's like he's basically making the point that his voyeuristic style is like no different to a sort of sociopathic teenager just like filming stuff with no real engagement whatsoever right yeah uh and like i kind of was amused by that and the um the character jean-louis chrezant plays it's sort of like he has a bit where he talks about his wife and he kind of just describes the plot of amour so i don't know if this is like some sort of like meta haneke all the characters from his previous films have uh it's like how stephen king you know uh all his books tie together it's all in the same universe <laughs> yeah in a sort of like weird metatextual way I can't make this comparison because I didn't see it, but it kind of reminded me, I thought it was like a good version of the kind of film the party seemed like in that the people who are afforded the opportunity to make films often write films about themselves and they are the same kind of people who review films and it becomes this whole middle class white circle jerk of, uh, you know, look how terrible we all are. And it's like, if there's enough self-loathing in the film, it kind of bypasses how self-indulgent it is. Which yeah, is never yeah. really quite true, because it can never escape its self-indulgence. Well, I think it's pretty self-indulgent to make a movie that ironically comments on your own <laughs> well, filmography. Exactly. But I think it is so... The humour is so pitch black, and it's so full of self-loathing, that it's just entertaining enough that it gets away with it. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I'm like, I've only seen a couple of other 
of his other movies and it's one i've enjoyed the most and i think that goes against the grain of like haneke fans it got a bit of a sort of lukewarm reception at can as a sort of lesser tossed off like what i did on my holiday type movie but i was much more into this lighter farcical movie than the sort of grueling uh, experience of some of his other films yeah the, the only one i've seen is uh Cache, and I, I did much care for it but i would certainly be up for uh yeah, a less sort of hard, miserable watch. Because that, that, that movie is dripping with contempt for the sort of French bourgeoisie. Oh, well, this has contempt out of the wazoo, but it's just a bit more... Uh, <laughs> yeah. A bit more fun because it's got more characters and sort of ensemble. And like, you know, there's a... I don't yeah, know if yeah. a spoiler, Cache but... is like, why am I watching CCTV footage of a family you hate? Yeah, doing exactly. Doing nothing. And it, yeah, basically like, it's this sort of movie where if there's like a party scene, obviously it's all going to go wrong. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've probably seen that scene a billion times in films, but I'd like personally have a lot of like time for those kind of uh, things. Like even if it's just the playing out kind of beats you've seen before in different movies, I thought it was quite winning. And the acting is, uh, as to be expected, really brilliant from all involved. So yeah, worth a watch. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's join share between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Battle of the Sexes. This is the new movie from Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Farris, who are probably best known for directing Little Miss Sunshine. And it is written by Simon Beaufoy. And it's a kind of biographical sports film about the uh, real historical encounter, the 1973 tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Billie Jean King being the number one um, women's US tennis player at the time. And Bobby Riggs, a uh, previous US champion and much fated tennis player who's now in his 50s and is getting on a bit. Here's a clip. Put her there. All right, great. (laughs) (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I love women in the bedroom and in the kitchen. But these days, they want to be everywhere. They want to be doing everything. Where is it going to end? Pretty soon, us fellas aren't going to be able to go to a ball game. We're not going to be able to go fishing. We're not going to be able to stop and have a drink after work. And that's what this whole women's (laughs) lip thing is about. And it's got to stop. And Bobby Riggs is the man to stop it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Custer's last stand. This is the lobber versus the lever. <laughs> Keep talking, Bobby. The more nonsense you spell, the worse it's gonna be when you lose. Well, I'm the ladies number one. I'm the champ. Why would I lose? Because well, dinosaurs can't play tennis. <laughs> I'm gonna put the show back in chauvinism. I thought the movie was a blast. I have to say, I had a great time with it. I, I enjoyed it from the first frame to the last. <laughs> You laughed, you cried. Well, the title of the movie promises a... Well, it's named after how the match was advertised, but it also kind of promises a rather straightforward, like, good uh, feminist woman with very, like, direct ideas of empowerment and women should be able to be who they want to be and do whatever they want, taking on this old-fashioned patriarchy, insisting that women stay in the kitchen and, you know, make sandwiches and all that kind of thing. And the film absolutely embraces that yeah. dichotomy and that sort of version of feminism. Uh, and it turns into a rather satisfying clash, basically. You know, it, it's a very simple story in many ways. Billie Jean King is essentially a heroic character. 
Yeah, Bobby Riggs awesome. is a like a douchebag. Uh, but the film, um, while go- being going headlong into uh, that like feminist versus chauvinist thing, by the end, you, I I sort of found found Bobby Riggs rather charming, <laughs> and I think they do this rather clever job of uh, like you know I think humanizing is a bit of a lame term. Yeah. Uh, but they say they um without like sort of winking at you being like oh he's not all that bad really they just do enough work with his character that uh sort of takes the edge off him a little bit yeah it's um, too ridiculous to really hate yes exactly and it just it just ends up adding to the general sense of enjoyment in the film yeah well he's also kind of thrown into relief by like the true misogynist in the film yeah There's they do yeah they where... sort of she draws the contrast yeah, right he's between... like he's just making this up you actually believe it yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also rather a neat little device, I think, because it's like um, it, it prevents it from being accused of making light of sexism, by yeah, the way. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, she she doesn't only encounter sexism from Bobby Riggs, but from, you know, men everywhere, basically. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Like I, For like a long stretch of the movie, I wasn't quite sure what kind of movie it was because even though it has the kind of trappings of a sports movie, it's not really... Uh, about the match that much i think that sounds kind of stupid because obviously that's the whole pinnacle of the plot <laughs> but it's a bit like it's more like a character piece about these two characters and they have and the match itself like whoever wins or loses doesn't it doesn't really matter and it doesn't really relate to another part of the plot which is about like this gender pay dispute which is obviously will not resolve nicely free because it's still going on yeah and because it's not like you know, it's like Rocky or whatever, where like she has to defeat him or whatever. Or yeah, it's not. It's not like Rocky. It's more like it's like a women's empowerment movie, you yeah. know, more than a sports movie. But it doesn't. It's not like you know, she has a major setback and then she has to go. There's not. Like, there's no training montage. Exactly. Or exactly. Yeah. There's like a bit where like I thought it started to drag in the middle where I wasn't quite sure. Uh, it was kind of falling into like a sort of biopic uh, pitfall where it was kind of just documenting what happened and there wasn't like a super strong through line at parts yeah. and then it all kind of came together in the end which is very satisfying and the tennis is done like very sparingly but very well yeah it just done well um i think they obviously just had like doubles and i well, don't know what happened one thing that i liked about the way they do the tennis is that they just shoot it like you see it on tv and that's yeah. fine yeah, yeah. they didn't they didn't sort of like go overboard like making the you know athleticism of the match sort of close up and epic and slow-mo or anything they just really shoot it like how it yeah. looks on tv and, and also like fine. 70s tennis looks so slow by modern uh exactly yeah so you can't i mean it is what you're saying that like the the actual tennis is not really the focus of the film so it's not really about how like the epic tennis that she plays you know it's a career best performance by emma stone oh she's fantastic she's so good and like i mean she's always been good but i feel like she's often just asked to just you know be her natural charismatic self like la la land you could just kind of want an oscar just for being emma stone it wasn't like a huge trans she's much better in this movie than la la land i would say oh yeah i agree completely and uh similarly like steve carell is like i think maybe because he's just known for being such a nice guy (laughs) that you can't you can't quite expunge like his steve carellness i feel like like this is like a steve carell performance that's like halfway between the office and foxcatcher yeah it's a good it's something like, like know, that you know wheelhouse between the drama and the comedy between like, the drama and the comedy the, yeah the and i think his performance is also really uh excellent yeah um i didn't know quite how to press it because it's quite a strange movie in that like you know there's a husband character and like she's obviously gay but like he's quite a nice guy and well it's the you know what i mean like wherever yeah. it, if it was fictional you feel they would have lent into other elements but everyone was just a lot sounder than 
you know, normally in this kind of... Well, I thought, like, the the husband character, I thought, was, like, part of um, the kind of thesis of the movie that works really well. I think I think they, they just avoid some of the m- more tedious cliches about the conflicts between home life and, you know, uh, your, your, your great goal yeah. um, in, in an effective way. And also the way that they do the husband... Uh, I think is is very good because he's portrayed as a good man and in order for him to be a good man he has to just be supportive of her yeah otherwise like the whole thesis the whole like straightforward women's empowerment thing doesn't really work if he's both a good man and in like totally fucked up by (laughs) (laughs) by the difficulties with his wife's sexuality you know what I mean yeah because then you have too much sympathy for the man it would it doesn't work so I think that they made they make so they make a lot of like clever dramatic choices in the film like that to kind of hold it all together as a single like idea. The one thing that I that I thought was like slightly successful was that the the other romance in the movie like she has a romance with a woman in the film, and it's a bit sort of languid and drags a bit and a bit too um, reliant on like soft focus shots of yeah, them playing with each other's hair, um, <laughs> and uh, it's just a bit slow and doesn't completely work. I think, but you know. That's a relatively minor issue. I don't know. It's kind of like a movie that's kind of set up to win you over because uh, Billie Jean King is obviously so much on the right side of history that it's almost like she is just a modern person who's just been like had to travel back in time and live in the 70s. And you're like, you know, don't worry, Billie, it's going to get better. And, you know, like... Yeah, yeah. Because she's a total badass. I only just knew... I only knew about her from this match. Like, this, you know, I knew the ending of this movie going in. But I learned all this, like, the whole stuff about her saying up a, like, alternate, like, rogue league. Yes, yeah, awesome. a baller move. Absolutely, yeah. It, it zippily goes through loads of details very effectively. Drops in a lot of, like, cool historical stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a very well-directed film. And they knew exactly what they wanted to get out of it. And it has the, the focus of purpose that um, is uh, sometimes absent from, like, sports dramas or from biopics. Well, it feels like it's the sort of movie that was maybe designed to be a more awards contender film, and they've just marketed it more as this kind of, they realize it's a bit more of a commercial picture. So it's kind of like this pleasing oddity in, you know, it's like a mainstream period film. Yeah, I'm really glad it's not super awardsy, actually. You know what I mean? Like, you could obviously see the slightly more Steve, I don't know, like, who's a shit director, Ron Howard version of this story, you know? But it's just, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I liked it. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's an odd film in a way in the modern climate of like movies and for that I give it 40 love <laughs> I don't know <laughs> game set match the winner is battle of the sexes yes my favourite film stars Bridget Bardo she's the queen and she wants to be in radio so she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end well listener it's almost time for us to end this episode of Film Chat. But I want one more. <laughs> I want I want more. <laughs> I just want one You're more. insatiable. Little tidbit of news from you, Danny. Just I, give me a little tidbit. I read today that Stephen Knight, the genius director of... The best um, film of all Locke. time, Locke. I think maybe we should do, maybe we should like dedicate an episode to Locke because like it's such a fun film to talk about, but everyone... So like it was quite, it was very well received, but we, we both found it interminably boring and hilarious in many ways. But. Yeah, Stephen Knight, who we both think is like very bad, very overrated, job. very overrated. He's the creator of Peaky Blinders, 
and uh, co-created Taboo with Tom Hardy and wrote Eastern Promises, also the film Burnt, which is terrible. Also the Humming film Hummingbird. Hummingbird, <laughs> Porn Sacrifice, a lot of really bad films. What a bizarre career this man's had. He's, you know, he's been on all sorts of places. For some reason, Tom Hardy obviously loves working with him, and they are going to make a new TV version of Dickens' perennial classic, A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol. You've got to, you've got to have a new version of that. There's not enough of enough. those. Surely, come on, the Muppets have nailed it. You can't. Well, they keep trying to make new ones in the hopes that it will become the iconic version above the Muppets one, but it's just not happened, you know? I was reading, this is very nerdy, I was reading Russell T. Davis, the writer of Queer Folk and Doctor Who and, you know, all manner of stuff, and I I was reading his book about writing uh, Doctor Who, and he talked about how Christmas Carol is, like, the most genius thing ever, and it's, like, this sort of secular ghost story, which has replaced Nativity story as the Christmas story. Yeah. And how it's so much more inclusive than any religious story. And I'm like, that is true. It is a brilliant story. So much so that even we- Stephen Knight... <laughs> is hard, Hardy going to be Scrooge? I mean, Hardy is always... fucking great. He's always incredibly entertaining. So. I don't think I've ever seen him play like a man three times his own age. <laughs> what accent is he going to do? What accent is he going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. I, like, I really like that idea. Hardy is Scrooge. You want a day off? Oh, there, boy. Oh, there's it. <laughs> Why, sir, it's Christmas Day. Oh, what a lovely, lovely day. <laughs> Maybe they'll be good. I mean, how you can't really fuck up a Christmas carol, right? It's a kind of indestructible plot that Dickens made. All you've got to do is make it with enough kind of, you know, sincerity and... Uh, you know, yeah. can't make it like at all ironic or anything. It's got to have like the full orchestral soundtrack and it's got to be fully wide-eyed, you know? Yeah, absolutely. With the, with the nice quivering, anxious Scrooge, and it's gonna it's gonna go uh, go down like um, not like the clappers, <laughs> but like a ton gonna, of bricks, <laughs> like a ton of bricks, like a ton of great bricks. <laughs> Gangbusters is Can't the phrase wait. I was looking for there. Can't wait. Join us next week. We'll be reviewing some films. Might go see the Disaster Artist though. Our friend Dan saw it and said it wasn't very really good. Oh, really? He said it was okay. He thought it was like a weirdly pitched film where you have to see the room to get it, and it was like quite flatly directed. And it's like out of the story of the worst movie ever, they made an okay film. So well, that's exactly what I feared it would be. And yet there were all those good notices. Oh, dear. Who knows? But, you know, it's playing at the Prince Charles. They're already cashing in their room chips by playing it like every hour for like a week. So yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. go catch a screening of that. Each one attended by Tommy Wiseau himself. Yeah. Yeah, I want to see that, and I don't know. I'm sure I'll find some other shit to do. Some other shit to do, whatever. Yeah. Until then, see you. Goodbye. 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 You think that after so many episodes, we'd have a good natural sign-off, you know? But I never, I never know how to do it. Keep watching films. Let's do it. Velociraptors, junk mail, or hopes and dreams down this toilet.